You are listening to America's Web Radio, your voice in the matter. You're listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. Well, that's almost the truth. It's half truth anyway. Uh, we've got Steve Ronaldo in. We're glad to have him in here. And we've got a very special show. A part of it's from Atlanta, Georgia, and part of it's from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. We've got Mr. Jeff Lane on the line with us, and he's going to be talking about the Lane Museum. I, it would seem to me that there must be some kind of connection there, Jeff. Lane uh, Motor Museum and Jeff Lane, I... It sounds like you have your finger right in the middle of the pot, so welcome to uh, the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Thank you. Glad to be on. And uh, you and uh, you and I, actually, I'm going to turn it over to Steve. You all, Steve knows more about cars than uh, I would ever hope to learn, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, obviously you do too, so I think you all will make a good match, and as you all are talking, I'm going to... Uh, Move the camera around a little bit, and those that are listening to us on Ustream can uh, see your website. And uh, so with that being said, I'm, I'm going to turn it over to Steve. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Steve. How you doing? I'm doing great. Well, I've been to your museum a, a, a couple times, and I can, I, I can sure tell any, everybody that it's probably one of the most unique museums that you'll ever visit in in the antique car hobby wouldn't you say yeah well that's great that you say that that because that's kind of what we're we're trying to go for is unique and uh, interesting and different cars that people typically haven't seen anywhere else yeah that's true you sure have some very very unusual cars i think the one that is I don't know. I guess to me, the most memorable, the one I think that most people remember, is the thing with the heli- with the propeller in the back. Right, right. <laughs> the helicron or the layout. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. You, that, those are kind. Of, you know, what? What about? What? 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 Just because they're the, I think probably the most unique. Can you? Can you tell every? Tell everybody a little bit about those two kinds of cars with a with a heli- with a propeller. I don't know in the back. Sure. Yeah. Well, Layot was a Frenchman that actually, he believed that propeller power was going to be the wave of the future for propulsion, not just for cars, but for trains and buses and, and boats and everything. And, and really his theory was um, that the, the cars would be simpler, they'd be lighter, and they'd be more fuel efficient. They'd be simpler because there's no transmission, no clutch, no differential, and they'd also be lighter because you don't have all those components. So... Um, and, and, and if you look at it, the theory is really pretty good because that's true. Um, but there were two real problems that they could never get around, and that was the, the, the tremendous amount of noise they make. And the second one was obviously they have almost no hill climbing ability. So, But in the 20s in, in France, in an area where it was flat, you know, and, and the roads were dirt, there weren't probably any stop signs, there were no stoplights, it really wasn't that bad of a vehicle. Cool. Um, anyway, how many of those things were ever produced? Layot made about 25 cars, and, and there were many other people. There, we have a, a list of different prototypes that other people made that were propeller-powered, and we're up to about 80 different really? other prototypes. Yeah, but, but Layot really was one of the only people that really manufactured propeller-powered cars. And again, 25 is not very many, but that, that's a lot more than a prototype. 
How, how many survived? Do you have any idea? Yeah, layout, actually, there's there's two original layouts that survived. One is in uh, a museum in, in, in France, and the other one, it belongs to Mr. Bouzenquet, who was... Uh, Mr. Peugeot's grandson, uh, Mr. Peugeot of the Peugeot Car Company, bought a layout brand new in, uh, I think, 1921. So those two still exist. Those two. That's, that's pretty cool because it is, is really a unique vehicle. Um, one of the other things that, I, I, that, that is, is really striking about your collection is... Some of the the cars that nobody has ever ever heard of or seen, and you know, especially all these. Yours is sort of like a micro car museum, I guess, sort of, huh? Yeah, we have a significant collection of micro cars. We have about seventy micro cars, and that's you know that's another part of automotive history. Typically, Americans aren't real familiar with because it really never it never really <laughs> happened here it's more of a european oh, phenomenon and uh and, and and of course micro cars were quirky and they're small and um you know one of the interesting thing about micro cars is they really kind of tried everything because there really weren't any rules except to make it cheap and to make it work um that was really kind of the two concepts of a micro car because it was really meant to replace a scooter um, and only be slightly more expensive than a scooter, but to give you weather protection when it was cold or raining or something like that. So, uh, you know, and, and the microcar people, and there were a lot of microcar makers. There's probably 200 different manufacturers, uh, from BMW who made the Isetta and made 168,000 Isettas, which was a very high volume microcar. There's a lot of microcar makers like Peel, the world's smallest car. They made 45. So there's a lot of makers that made 45 cars, or they made 500, or you know, very low, low volume. Yeah. Okay. I, the Isetta, I'm sort of familiar with because I, when I got back from from uh, Vietnam in '69, I was looking at a Dodge uh, 426, 425 horse competition Hemi that. You know, and the guy Dodge dealer had those little BMWs, and he said, "I'll tell you what, kid, you buy one of that. You buy this Dodge, I'll give you one of those things." So, really, a brand new one? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I've heard stories too that the Cadillac dealers, uh, if you bought a new Cadillac, they'd give you an Isetta. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they like you said, micro cars in the U.S. just don't fit, especially in the fifties and sixties. When you when you look at your your daddy's deuce and a half Buick. Deucing a quarter right. Buick, it's hardly a micro car. Right. Well, you, and in the U.S., the distances are so much greater. Exactly. That they really weren't practical, you know. And, and in Europe, I mean, people didn't go great distances, so it, you know, it made some sense then. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, I read a story about the Messerschmitt that uh, uh, that he really thought, and I guess he had some backers too that thought that they the Europeans needed just a small economical people mover car and that's even though the Messerschmitt is really peculiar looking uh, mm-hmm. that that they 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 really they really thought they were had had going to have something with the Messerschmitt car well the Messerschmitt you know it's kind of an interesting story because really it was designed initially by a guy named Fritz Venn that and it was a designed as a invalid car where someone was in a wheelchair really they could roll right up next to it and you flip the canopy up, and of course the seat's very low, and then you transfer yourself into the car, you flip the canopy down. The, the, the initial Fritz Fenn cars were all hand controls, 
Um, and that's the, that, that was initial development. And then when Messerschmitt, after the war, couldn't make airplanes because of the ban on making armaments or airplanes, they needed, they had all these huge factories and they needed to make some other products. And they kind of took Fritz Fenn's design and improved on it significantly. And, and, you know, made, and they made 20,000 Messerschmitt. So they were pretty, you know, Messerschmitt was another micro car maker that was pretty successful, really. And then, after so many years, when they lifted the ban on making airplanes and stuff, they they stopped making cars and went back to making airplanes and stuff like that. Yeah, you mentioned the the Peel when we were, uh, a minute ago. You said that was the smallest car made. Yeah, the Peel P50 is recognized uh, by the Guinness World Book of Records as the world's smallest production car ever made. Yep. Well, tell tell me a little bit about I that one. See, this is a whole new thing to me. But now talk about MGs that you're. In just a minute, but but that yeah. what is a peel? I have no earthly idea. Yeah, the peel the peel story is another real interesting one. It was a small company on the Isle of Man, um, and they had about ten to fifteen employees. And their real specialty was they made fiberglass motorcycle fairings, um, and they made some other fiberglass products, but mostly motorcycle fairings. And then in the early 60s when you know bubble cars and micro cars kind of became a bit of a rage in Europe they said well you know since we're experts in fiberglass we can make a car and so they made the PLP 50 which is a single seater it's powered by a 50cc DKW scooter motor uh, weighs 220 pounds and has a top speed of 25 miles an hour and uh, it, it got the fame of being the world's smallest car and one of the more interesting things about it is that uh, because it has a scooter motor in it it didn't have any reverse obviously because scooters don't have reverse and so they put a just a little handle on the back of the car and they call that the reversing handle so if you needed to back up or turn around you could just pick up the back of the car and turn the car around and in and, and, and their their advertising they showed that like a, they showed a woman picking up the back of the car. Really? <laughs> yeah, Jeff. Well, uh, before we get too far into this, uh, I'd, I'd like sort of your history of how you got involved. Uh, you know what? Uh, you were a very young man when you decided you wanted to have a museum, from what I've read. Well, I got you know I was interested in cars from a young age because my dad was always a car enthusiast, and you know when I was in you know ten years old, uh, he bought a MGTF um, that we started to restore, and so you know as a kid we had a workshop, and I was always working in the workshop, and then on top of that, his you know he started a business uh, called L and L Products in 1958 with a high school friend that's that's an automotive supply business, and so. You know, our hobby was cars, and and the business was cars. So we were kind of always surrounded by cars. That that was my beginning. And then, uh, then how? When did you decide you wanted to uh, have a museum? The museum came about probably. You know, we've been open ten years. It came about about thirteen years ago when I had I had about seventy five different classic cars, and I had them as a typical car guy. I had them stuffed in different garages all over the place, and I had a couple rented industrial units. Um, and people would see the cars around town. I had an Amphicar, and I had the Tatra T87, and, and they would want to come and see all the cars. And, and inevitably, you know, I would take them to a couple of different uh, the units where a lot of the cars were, but there would be something they'd want to see that was always somewhere else that wasn't very accessible. And so... I just thought, you know, if I'm going to continue to collect cars, I need to really put it in a kind of a proper place and try to get everything together. And so that's kind of how the museum came about. 
And you got the uh, location from a bread manufacturing, right? A bakery. Yeah, yep, we're, yeah. yeah we're in the old Sunbeam Bread Factory, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the bread with the, the, the balloons on it, if I remember right, as I was a kid. Right, right? and they did bunny bread, too. And they're still, I mean, they sold that business to another bakery, but that, that, uh, that bread is still around. Yeah, the the TF, I, I you know the the TF is one of my interests. I I've had in matter of fact, I'm finishing another MGB now. Uh, hopefully, it'll be done in the next couple of weeks. Uh, did you have? Did you guys finish your TF? Yeah, the TF's an interesting story because, like I said, you know, when I was about ten, my dad bought a TF and, and started to we started to restore it. And so the story of my TF is when I was twelve, he asked me, uh, my dad asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And I thought, well, you know, since I've been helping you restore your car, I said, I'd like a TF of my own, you know. And I never thought, ah, he's, he's not going to get me a TF for Christmas. But but there on Christmas morning in our backyard in the back of a pickup truck was a TF. Um, the only catch was it was all in pieces. <laughs> um, so I had to restore it. But I thought, you know, I'm 12 years old. I got four years to, like, get my driver's license. And, you know, I'm a kid. I got plenty of time. Um, so I spent the next four years restoring my TF, um, and then on top of that, we grew up in, in Romeo, north of Detroit, small town, maybe 10,000 people, and there was one lady that ran the office that sold license plates and gave drivers, or gave you your license and stuff like that, and she had seen my dad's TF uh, driving around town and always wanted to ride in it, and he said, well, you know, my son, he's almost finished with his car, and he'll be getting his driver's license, and so, you know, he'll bring his TF down for his driver's training test and you can get a ride in a TF then. So that's what we did. And uh, so she got in and she had me drive to her neighbor's house, uh, which was about a mile away from the office, so her neighbor could see the car. And then she had me drive back to the office and she gave me my license. So <laughs> it's kind of a kind of a there's different time than we have now, but kind of a, a very interesting, fun story. Do you still have it by any chance? Oh, oh, oh yeah, 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 it's in the museum, oh, for sure. Yeah, 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 it's still there. Mm-hmm. And that that's neat. cool, yeah. So, you know, you're, I've had my TD for about 40 years, too, and, and you know, 40 years, and it, it, it's neat when you find somebody who did something and kept their car, and it's still around, and they still enjoy it. You ever... The other question is that one of the with all this stuff, do you ever go out and participate and go to go to stuff with any of these unusual cars? Oh yeah, yeah, we do. A, we do about six major concours every year. We do Amelia Island, we do uh, Indianapolis, we do Louisville, we do All Park in Cincinnati. Um, we're getting ready to go to Pebble Beach in a couple of weeks. It'll be the first time we've been to Pebble, but we do a lot of the major concours, and we do. We also do probably at least 10 local shows in you know in and around the national area so we we get to a lot of shows and you know one thing about the museum that people are kind of surprised is is we drive all of our about about 80 percent of our cars run and so we drive our cars and we actually you know put a, a lot of effort into keeping them in running condition because we really think that as you know, a car is not like a painting that should hang on a wall and be looked at. I mean, it's, it's something that was made to be driven and to move people around. So that's kind of the, to me, that's the art of the car is to see it going up and down the road. You know, you just hit uh, one of Steve's best points that uh, he doesn't believe in trailer queens. He loves to, uh, he drives all of his cars, and, and you you just made a good friend, whether you know it or yeah, not. Yeah, I, I, I do, but I, I agree with you. I, I'm not a big 
you know, the car shows are, being on the AACA National Board, of course, having to go to national meets, I really do appreciate when people restore these cars to uh, absolutely immaculate condition, but I, it, to me, it's more fun to, to, you know, so both B is in hole A and not exactly 100% correct, but I'd rather see him on the road. Uh, Jeff, let me ask you, with your background, uh, and obviously starting the first thing off by restoration, do you have a shop there, and do you all maintain your own cars and so forth? We, we do have a restoration shop there. Um, we have two full-time restoration technicians, and then uh, we have another actually retired uh, mechanic that works probably half half the you know about three days a week there. Mm-hmm. So, so do you have it where people can see them in action restoring a car? You know, the restoration shop. It's right next to the sh- to, to where the exhibit area is, and you can. It's kind of like two different rooms, and they can see one of the rooms. Uh, the other room, actually, in the summertime when the weather's nice, they have the garage door open, so they can people can look right in from the parking lot. In the wintertime, or if it's hot in the summer, that door's closed. Me. So they can't see all of it all the time, but, but some of it is visible, yes. Do, do you do uh, restorations or work for other people's antique cars or strictly your own stuff? Uh, we strictly work on our own cars only, yes. And how many do you have uh, total? Uh, we have about 400 in the collection. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, I would say yeah, you, two, you can't see Yeah, I would say day. 200 two guys <laughs> you have enough to keep a couple of guys busy, I'm sure. Well, yeah, and, uh, and in fact, you couldn't go through your museum and 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 do justice in one day, I don't think, can you? Yeah, it's really hard to see everything in, in one day cuz we have about 125 to 130 cars on display at one time. Um and we we rotate about 50 cars a year, so there's a lot of changing going on. Um, so it is hard to, to to look at everything, and you know it's funny because people I know people that are members and they they come a couple times a year and they they'll been member for three or four years and they'll say I've never seen that car before, you know, and it's like well it's you know that's been on the floor for three years now, you know, so it's it's hard to absorb everything. Yeah, sure. it really is because you, you knew the guy here in Atlanta that had the microcar museum. Bruce Weiner, yeah, I yeah. know Bruce. Yep. Bruce, yeah, yep. and and of course that's gone. And I'm sure you were down there when he had his big auction and stuff. Actually, yeah, we bought six cars at that auction. Yeah, did you? I, you know, I I didn't go, but I saw the results in one of the magazines, and and uh, I was really surprised at how this micro car and little car segment has taken off in the hobby. I'm I'm just a, I've just Amazed, I, you know. I, I'm more like you look at Packards and Pierce Arrows and you know Town and Countries, and then of course the brass cars. Uh, but I'm surprised at the interest that is is just gone crazy with these little cars. Yeah, it's been it's been pretty explosive. I, I think you know again, micro cars weren't well known, and I think you know Bruce had an excellent excellent museum, and that you know that brought a lot of exposure to to the micro cars. But I think, you know, the other thing is microcars are cute and interesting. They're not, most of them are not too functional. I mean, they do drive and stuff, but, but most of them, you know, obviously can't get on the freeway. Most microcars have a top speed of 40 to 45. But, um, I think people also see the cute part of it. I know like in that, in, in that auction, there was a guy that had a bunch of high end clothing stores or something and he wanted to buy a microcar to put in each store just kind of as a display. 
uh, as part of the display. And, and uh, I kid I kid people about microcars. I say in, in collecting cars, they said start with microcars because, you know, with a two-car garage, you can get about 10 to 12 cars in there. <laughs> so there's plenty of room. And then when they break and you have to push them around, you know, they're, they're, you can push them around by yourself, where if you start with a town and country, you know, you, you can only get two of those in a two-car garage, and then when it breaks, uh, you know, you need to get all your friends over there to help you push it around. So, so you, you're telling me you don't you don't want to push a V16 Cadillac limousine around, is what you're saying? Not not, not by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure you're a member of AACA and and or maybe Horseless Carriage or any of the other uh, larger larger clubs. And and this is one thing that that I, I I am a firm believer in, is the organizations, just those two primarily are uh, that I'm familiar with, are trying to promote the hobby and trying to get young people involved, uh, bring young people into this car hobby because it it you know it looks like. When you go to a national meet, it end, ends up looking like a, 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 a social security convention at this point. And we're trying to do everything we can to get the younger younger people involved. And I'm sure you have some activities that you do to try to promote this for the younger kid, younger part of our hobby. Right. Yeah. We we are a member of the ACA, and yeah, you know, I think. Um I think people, I see a lot of people afraid of of the aging and that young people won't be interested in. I don't find that to be true at the museum. Um, I think every generation kind of has some different interests, but I see young people there that that have a tremendous amount of interest in the cars. So um, I, I really think that that you know that process is going to go on and on and on. Um, I, I th- think you know collecting cars and restoring cars. I think that's something that most people kind of pick up more in their 40s and upwards. Um, you know, it's hard for younger people to have the money and the the facilities and the ability to to really restore cars or, or work on them in a great sense. So I, th- I think it's just kind of a natural part of life. It happens in a little bit, you know, a little bit later of your life. But, but I, I, you know, I see a lot of teenagers at our museum. They're like, wow, this is really neat. I never saw that. And, and so they have a tremendous interest uh, sort of- in the cars. Jeff, two questions. One, your demographics, uh, you, you're talking about the younger folks. And then also sort of walk us through the museum. And we always get a laugh out of uh, how many museums have wedding areas or, or they have weddings and they have a banquet facility for weddings and so forth. But sort of walk us through your, your layout. And But first, I'd, I'd like to know your demographics. Uh, you know, our demographics are... I don't know exactly, but um, it's really kind of all over the place. Um, in the summer, I know we get a lot of families because uh, people are traveling. And, uh, and, you know, the one thing about Nashville is it's a tourist town. So there's a lot of people that come here for several days to do, you know, not just music stuff, but a lot of music stuff. So we get we get a lot of families. Uh, we get a lot of Europeans, actually. Um, we've had many Europeans come and say, boy, this is the best car museum, European car museum I've ever seen. In, you know, not just in, in, in America, but even in Europe. So, um, and we've had a few people come in the door and say, I used to own that car over there. You know, <laughs> uh, 
the Reliant Regal we have because, you know, Europeans, when you buy a license plate for your European car, it stays with the car even as it passes ownership. So they recognize the license plate. Um, so that's kind of our demographics. Uh, the museum is, you know, it's, it's basically one large um, open room. Um, it's about 45,000 square feet. And we, we have usually four or five kind of themed exhibits that we change every year. Like right now when you first come in, we have the exhibit on Tatra, the Czechoslovakian cars um, that were, were, they made the air-cooled rear engine cars and some other cars. Um, and then we also have, on top of those those five different themed exhibits, we have uh, kind of, dis- our cars are kind of displayed by country, by France, by Italy, um, you know, uh, Great Britain, and, and that type of setup. So we currently have the Tatra exhibit going on. We have an exhibit, uh, because we don't have a large American collection, uh, but with the, most of the American cars we have are kind of obscure, like Davis, the three-wheeler that they made 14 of. Um, so we have an American-themed exhibit ongoing. Uh, we have a microcar exhibit ongoing, and uh, we have a three-wheeled uh, car exhibit ongoing at the current time. So, so how many weddings do you do a year? You know, we do special events, um, and we have done a couple of weddings, but, you know, our floor is set up for, if, if we have a big event, retirement party or wedding, um, it has to be in the evening, obviously, when we're not open, and a lot of times we'll have to move some of the cars out to make a, a larger area. We don't have, like, a dedicated um, area for events, but, but we do a lot of events. And I noticed that you're closed on Tuesday and Wednesday, is that correct? That's correct, yes. And open from 10 to 5 every other day. Correct, yes. And we're going to we're gonna need to take a break. I, we passed by our first break, which uh, I'm sure I'll hear from, from a sponsor or two about. But, then, you know, things happen. <laughs> we'd, rather, we'd rather talk to you and, and find out what's going on up there. Uh, where, where do you get your cars, and are you continually looking for them? Well, we are continually looking. Um, I've got a folder in my office of uh, future acquisitions of, of stuff that I'm always looking for. But we get our cars, you know, we do some hunting ourselves. Um, we have some contacts in Europe that that are do some hunting for us. But, you know, the other great resources, as a museum, um, people a lot of times have cars and, and a lot of times have special cars. You know, and as they get older, like, I want to get rid of this car, but it's special to me. I've had it for years. I don't want it to just go to anybody. Um, and they'll see that it fits in with the museum, with our with our theme. And so they'll approach us and say, you know, and sometimes they'll donate the car. Sometimes they're not in a position to do that, and we'll buy it from them. But uh, we get a lot of people that, that approach us with cars. That's neat. And then do, do you normally find that you have to... Uh run them through your restoration shop or, or do you get them or do some of them come in ready to for the floor well most of them come in come in ready for the floor um you know i'm not saying that all of them are in in, in you know perfect condition but we also believe in you know displaying cars that are not restored that that have a really unique history um we have a tatra that um actually we bought from a lady that her grandfather bought it brand new in like 1934 when they lived in Czechoslovakia and they lived in a little town and there was only three people in that town that had a car and her grandpa was one of them 
and she remembers riding around in the back of it as a kid and uh you know her grandfather passed away and he gave it to her you know the, to her mom and tragically about 10 years ago her mom and dad were killed in a car accident in czechoslovakia not in this tatra but and then she got the car and really couldn't care for it but it's got you know it's it's all original and it's got just a fantastic history she's got all the original paperwork uh, it's got the original bill of sale in Czechoslovakian that we translated because it's really interesting. It says from Tatra, there's kind of this language about we sure we sure hope that you are going to pay us for this fine automobile or something like that, <laughs> you know. And that's kind of how they talk to each other back then. It, was, it wasn't like you owe me seventy seven dollars. It's like you know it was in a very kind of kind way. So you know some cars we don't want to restore. We want to kind of keep the patina and the history with them. Sure. Yeah. Jeff, we're going to need to take a break right quick, uh, be gone for a couple of minutes, but we'll be back with Jeff Lane talking about the Lane Motor Museum in Nashville, Tennessee, right after this. Are you into classic cars? Do you own a classic car? If so, you need to know J.C. Taylor Insurance, the absolute best place in the country for classic car insurance. They own classic cars, they support the industry, and have the best prices bar none. Go to jctaylor.com, get a quote, and tell them you heard about them on Radio Sandy Springs. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. and listen to The Doctor's Lounge, where you get a private insight into the conversations that doctors have amongst themselves. Join us Thursday, 8 a.m. every week. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back on the Classic Car Show. We're glad to have with us today our guest, Mr. Jeff Lane from Lane Motor Museum in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, I guess I should apologize for getting you up uh, a little bit earlier than you probably normally do, Jeff. But we appreciate you uh, getting up and being with us this morning. It's my my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Um, You know, you were talking about the unrestored cars. I think, and I think I see it more and more at our AACA national meets and stuff, there seems to be more of a, a, a growing interest in original cars with original history. And I, I'm kind of, I, I, I kind of go bo- both ways. I can't decide. <laughs> should you restore a car or should you, as long as it's, operating correctly should you leave it like it is if it's not you know if it's not too horrible uh right I, you know i i just don't know which way to go but there seems to be more and more interest in original unrestored cars yeah um, well I, I think there's room for for both you know and, and again it's, it's it's you know when somebody owns a car it's really up to them but i think uh I think either way, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a good thing. And, and I think, you know, the thing about a car, I tell people a lot of times, 
really a car without history is just a piece of metal. And and really the most important thing about a car, you know, maybe not the most important, but the important thing is the story. And and we find that with cars in the museum, um, you know, some people are fascinated by the shapes and the colors and stuff, and some people are fascinated by the stories. Um, and, and there's some cars that just have a very interesting, fun story. It's like my TF is really not a, it's not a special car because, you know, there's a lot of TFs out there and everything like that. But it's got a special story to it. Yeah, it's yours. Jeff, Jeff, let me ask, how do you tell those stories with each car? Do you have it on video or do you have it on a a tablet there or how do you? Well, every every car has a sign, a display sign that has, you know, two or three paragraphs about it and then kind of some, some minor specifications. And then some of the cars, we have four or five different videos kind of spread out through the museum, like the Amphicar. We have a video of it going in the water and coming out of the water because, you know, there's some cars like that that really the visual is very important, you know, that brings <laughs> a lot to it. The, the, yeah. the layout is, is the same thing. I mean, sitting there statically, you know, it, it looks nice and interesting and everything, but to hear it run and to see it move really fascinates people. And so we have a video of, of the layout, you know, driving around and everything like that. So we have some of the more interesting cars. Uh, we have you know, five, the PLP 50, we have a video of it driving out up and down our, there's a four-lane uh, road out in front of our museum, two lanes on each side, and, uh, you know, we have it driving up and down in front of the museum on the road, and I stop at the red light just up from the museum, and this semi pulls up next to me, and you can imagine what kind of visual <laughs> thing that, you know, that's like, yeah, and so that's the thing, that's is because people cool. look at the car and they say, Oh, they don't drive that on the road. It's a joke. They drive around on the parking lot, and and so to see it actually, you know, going down the road is is it's, it's important. Uh, if if one were to come to the museum, would one once in a while have the pleasure of uh, a guided tour by the man himself? Uh, you know, I do some guided tours. You know, by by special appointment. Um, you know, I don't do that on a on a regular, on a daily basis. But you know, with with prearrangement, that's a possibility. If you you know, if you have a big group, um, you know, if a group of twenty or thirty people come up from Atlanta, like the you know a club car club, I mean, I'd be glad to give them a tour. I'm I'm not there every day because some days I'm traveling. But um, you know, the days I'm there, I'd be glad to do that. Sure, I, I met you. AACA had a national meet just outside of Nashville. And we had a, a stop at uh, one of the things was at, at your museum, and I remember now. I remember meeting you there. We were there for a late afternoon uh, thing, and I remember you were you were there walking around t- saying hi to everybody, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Uh, anyway, if you were to, do you have any brassier cars? We we don't have any brassier cars. No. no, no, nothing at all. Which is the oldest one? The oldest we have, we have a Citron 5CV, and that's like a 20, 1921, I think. That would be the oldest we have. And the newest? The newest, we have a 2012. What Fiat would that 500. be? Fiat 500? Oh, yeah, the new yeah. one. Yeah, the new one, yep. Mm-hmm. The new one. Yeah, that's kind of a micro car, sort of like the smart car thing, huh? Right, yeah, just a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. That's kind. Of, that's kind of cool with 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 that stuff. Anyway, if you were to pick one that you would say would be the most unusual out of all of those, if, if you were going, we had to pick one. Which one would you pick? 
Boy, that's a tough one. But I, I, I think I'd have to pick the layout, the propeller-powered car. I mean, it's kind of the you can't get a whole lot more unique than that, I don't think. Yeah, I agree with you because, like I said, that that's the one that that sticks, uh, in, and I think everybody's mind when they when they uh, visited your museum is is uh, is that particular car. I some of the other, like you know, Messerschmitt, like you said, it, it, cars like that are are uh, definitely so unusual because of the way the top works and the, the bubble and all of that other kind of stuff. Right. Um, right. Yep. But the but the propeller car is just just really really something to see. Uh, with this. Do you ever take any of them to a, a AACA national meets and 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 do any of that kind of stuff with them? You know, we we uh, we haven't been to an AACA national meet in a while. We've been to a few, but it's been a few years, and it's you know that's the problem we run into is scheduling yeah oh yeah you know we only have so many people that can take cars out and so we end up with you know multiple events on the same weekend so um we haven't been in a while but but you know we we need to get back out there how about tours do you ever do you ever take them like uh take a car on one of the the uh uh, one of the national tours somewhere for haven't a week? done an AA, yeah. Haven't done an AACA tour. We did. We did the Great Race a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's been several years back now. Um, so we did the Great Race, um, but that's you know again it, it gets it gets to the scheduling and it's you know it's really hard. The summertime obviously <clears throat> is a very very busy time for us, and so it's hard to get away for a week and, and do a tour. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see some of those things. I'd love to see a Messerschmitt, for example, because those cars would do a national tour. Okay, do they do? Do they limit the speed to around forty? Yeah, I, usually. Now, what 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 age are those cars? Well, the Messerschmitt would be. You know, most of the micro cars are are, are mid fifties up to early sixties. Well, yeah, but, sure. They, like, see, there's the the sentimental tour is designed for cars between. Uh, 28 and 58, and they're generally done at Model A speeds. So if you have okay. one of these things that would would keep up with a, you know, would do 40, 45 miles an hour fairly consistently, you know, it wouldn't be a problem for you to 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 bring one on a tour. And I think that would be just really cool to see one of those things on a national tour. Yeah, that that would be fun. I need to put that on my schedule. I did a. Several years ago, I did a microcar uh, tour from from Liege, Belgium, down to Bresica, Italy, and back up uh, four days, twelve hundred miles in a in a Henkel, which is a lot like a Messerschmitt, and and then that was microcars only. But it was still it was just so much fun because people aren't used to seeing a microcar on the road. No, and 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 the great thing was, you know, we were lost multitude of times, but you know, with a Messerschmitt. You don't even have to get out of the car. You just pull up to the sidewalk and stop, and people come running up to see the car. <laughs> and, and, and then you can say, oh, let's see, this is where we're trying to go. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, down that way. It's down that way. You know? <laughs> That's cool. That's and, really and, neat. And yeah, how, yeah. how was your bottom after being in it for 1,200 miles? Yeah, you know, Nothing personal, actually, of course. Yeah, it actually, a Henkel's a pretty comfortable car because we spent, we literally spent 10 to 12 hours a day in the car. We would stop once a day for gas. 
and that's it. We ate, you know, they give you a box lunch Once in the morning. Um, but, but you know, after, I, I would say after four days, I was ready for a break. But it was really a lot of fun. It was just a lot of fun. All right. Which one of those uh, of the these cars you have do you think would be the most tour worthy? Let's just say the speed is average 40, 45 miles an hour. Which one do you think would be the most? I, you know, the, the Messerschmitt would certainly do that. I think the uh, Isetta would certainly be very capable of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, they would. You know, um, and you know the Roven's another micro car. Roven D four uh, was would would do that pretty easily. A so, Roven, yeah, Roven uh, was a French micro car that, that really is a really beautifully done small car. Roven was like if the micro car is going to be successful, it needs to look like a real car, but just in a smaller form. Ah, okay. So, so it it, it was really well styled. I, I, I got to ask, and I don't know anything personally about you as far as uh, family goes, but I, if you have wife and kids, how do they take to all of this? Well, I, I'm married, and I have three three daughters that are all grown, 22 to 29. So, uh, you know, my wife is is not really she's not really a car person, but she goes to a lot of the shows with me. She you know she enjoys traveling and she enjoys meeting people and everything. Um, she's not like an expert on the cars or anything, but she enjoys it. Well, that's cool. That that that's good when your 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 family uh, uh, is really involved, because that makes it a whole lot easier. That's for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah, for sure. That. Now, now, out of the three girls, do you, which one of them gets the museum? Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know that any three of them had a great great interest in uh, the museum, so I don't. I don't know that that's going to happen, but we'll we'll see. And the museum's <laughs> a nonprofit foundation, so really, you know, although I I, I run it, I'm not, you know, pe- people. I don't really own it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, well, what what would you? How do you get the word out about the museum and and uh, on a national basis uh, bring people into your museum? Well, we do, um, you know, we do some advertising. Really, most of the advertising we do would be local. Um, in terms of national advertising, we kind of depend upon, uh, you know, articles that people write about us, about us going to shows or different cars. Um, we get, and, and, you know, we get a lot of coverage in the automotive, uh, antique automotive press world. Um, so... That's that's kind of what we do for marketing, and you know we go to again we go to six to eight uh, major concours every year, and, and again that for us that's a way to keep our our name out there and people know that we're around. Didn't Hemming? Weren't you just in Hemmings? Um, you know I don't know if there was just an article in Hemmings about us or not. I think so. I think I, yeah. I I I, I have so. I just I just got my Hemmings, but I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. It's yeah. sitting on my desk. I think it was in one of the the offshoot publications, not in the the the, the thing. I think it was one of the you know like collector car. They do collector car imports and stuff and all imports that. Imports and sports, yeah. Yeah, I, I I just thought I remember seeing something like that. Here's a goofy question: Do you ever go to uh, to uh, uh, Hershey looking for stuff for these unusual cars? You know, I, it's it's terrible to say, but I've, nev- I've been to Hershey, but diverse. never when Hershey's going on. Really? And it's always Yeah, it's always been a timing thing that there's always something else uh, seems to be happening. 
when Hershey's going on, and but you know that's on my bucket list of things because of course I've heard all these great things about it from many, many, many people that have been. Uh, and I wanted to go this year, and I think I think this year Barber, the Barber Museum in in Birmingham, Alabama, I think their tenth anniversary is the same weekend as Hershey this year. So I'm going to have to choose one or the other of those. That would be a tough choice. We're going to have to take our uh, second break, and we'll be back with Jeff Lane and the Lane Motor Museum in Nashville, Tennessee, right after this. Are you into classic cars? Do you own a classic car? If so, you need to know J.C. Taylor Insurance, the absolute best place in the country for classic car insurance. They own classic cars, they support the industry, and have the best prices bar none. Go to jctaylor.com, get a quote, and tell them you heard about them on Radio Sandy Springs. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we're back on the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio with our guest from Nashville, Tennessee, the music capital of the world, Mr. Jeff Lane and the Lane Motor Museum. Uh, Jeff, you you opened in two thousand and what? Two thousand three. Three. Yeah, okay. two thousand three. Yes. And uh, had you been storing a bunch of cars prior to that, and then decided, okay, this is this is the time to uh, cock the pistol and and fire it. Yeah, that's kind of what happened. I like I said, I had seventy five, about seventy five cars, and. Let's see, I had, you know, a couple rental houses, so of course the cars were stuffed in the garages of the rental houses, and I had a couple industrial units, and uh, I had a vending business that, uh, the basement of the vending business building, of course, became a car warehouse. (laughs) (laughs) So there was stuff uh, kind of everywhere. Well, that's neat, that's neat. Has has the museum lived up to and and been everything you thought it would be when when you decided to open the doors? Yeah, it has. Uh, you, you know, and my my biggest driving force, you know, there's two things I really wanted to do is I wanted people to be able to have access to the cars, to see the cars, and I wanted to put it in some kind of structure so that it can go on and on and on. And then, you know, when something happens to me, it's still going to be around. People can still see it. And, uh, and it, it's definitely achieved those two goals. Okay. Uh, if... It, uh 
if somebody were were say visited your museum and they were really taken by these uh, unique cars, how how would somebody get in get involved and get into this type of car? See. Model T's and Model A's and Packards and all that kind of stuff is pretty easy, but you start looking at some of the stuff that you've been talking about. How would somebody get involved in the in that microcar hobby and little car? And then I don't know, just say microcar, unusual, really extremely unusual cars. Well, you know, the the, the funny thing is, like, that there's a microcar club in the United States. Really, they have uh, they have probably it's called. Uh, the Vintage Microcar Club, I think is the name of it, and it has 250 members. And, you know, they put out a newsletter every other month, six, six newsletters a year. Pretty, It's a very active club. Um, but, you know, even you take the Layot, um, which is only two real examples of, there's, there's a Layot club. It's it's based in France, but there's a guy <laughs> that has a club there, and he puts out kind of, it's a web web letter, you know, it's, it's a website, but he updates it every couple months. It's in English and in French. Um, so, you know, the Davis, Davis, uh, which there's 14 Davises, they have a registry um, where you can go to get information on Davis. So even in the really obscure stuff, there's usually some kind of, of you know, and sometimes very small organizations, but there's some kind of organization. They're not always like a formal club. Um, but but there's really uh, you know that's the great thing about the internet is is if you're interested in something, you know you can Google it and and really no matter how obscure it is within you know a half hour you can kind of get a lot of information about it and find out what else is going on. Let's, so, speaking of uh, the internet, you're you want to mention uh, well just bring us into the museum from the standpoint of how do people find it on the internet. Uh, and where are you located in Nashville and um, your hours and so forth? Okay, yeah, we are uh, we have a website, uh, lanemotormuseum.org, um, and we have a pretty extensive website that has, uh, we, we have most of the cars posted on the website, where if you're interested, in, we have a car list, and then you can click on the car, it'll show you a couple pictures of the car, it'll show you a description of the car, um, so a lot of times, you know, people can take a virtual tour of most of the collection. Uh, the museum's actually located, we're about three miles from downtown Nashville. Um, we're on the southeast kind of side of downtown on Murfreesboro Road. Um, so we're fairly convenient to downtown. Um, and we're, we're, we're fairly close to Opryland too. Opryland's only about five miles away from us. So, and we're open, again, we're open Thursday through Monday, uh, which means we're closed on Tuesday and Wednesday. And we're open from ten to five. Yeah, you know, how did you pick Tuesday and Wednesday to be closed? That, that's sort of uh, interesting. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of odd. We you know we need a couple days a week to kind of do stuff when the museum is closed. And we thought you know if you're open on Monday, like on Memorial Days, and and people have a long weekend, maybe we would capture some extra traffic on the Mondays. And so that's how we kind of came up with a Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, <laughs> closing that's your weekend huh tuesday and wednesday that's, that's our weekend yeah and you know i, I mean although the museum's closed to the public really most of the regular staff i mean i generally work monday through friday i mean some weekends but um so there's always there's somebody there seven days a week but um just not open to the public on tuesday and wednesday 
Well, I think it's, a, I, I, like I said, I've, I've been there, and I think it's one of the more unique and interesting museums because that you'll find because of the 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 type of cars that are are, are there. I mean, you're so used to going to uh, walking into a museum, and there's a Model A Ford and a Model T Ford and a Jeep and who knows what all, but they all. <laughs> what uh, Jeff? What's in your crystal ball? What's in my crystal ball? Uh, well, there's a couple. You know, we're always looking for propeller-powered cars. Um, again, like I said, we've identified about 80 prototypes. Um, so we'd, anything that's propeller-powered, we'd be very interested in. Um, I'm, I'm also been looking for years and years for, um, you know, Davis that built the three-wheeled car in Los Angeles in the, in the late 40s. Uh, there was a car prior to that called the Californian. That was a one-off prototype, and I've been looking for that um, for years and years with absolutely no luck. It's probably long gone, but that's another 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 dream car. Um, I was trying; those those are kind of two of the big cars. That, that, that I'll bet I know where the Californian is. Where's that? It's in Ed Escudarian's mess at Gardena. I'm sure it's there. If you've ever been <laughs> been to Isky Cam Place, he's He's got it there. All he has to do is find it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's still hope, then. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it, something along those lines. Uh, with your restoration shop, how hard for is it to get parts? Uh, and and I assume a lot of what you have to do is, is fabricate your own parts. Uh, but how hard is it to get parts for these these type of cars? Yeah, it's kind of mixed, you know. I mean, we do fabricate a lot of parts because there's some things that you just can't find. But uh, again, you know, there's um, again with the with the web and and being able to search the world for stuff like Peel. You know, you would think a Peel P50 that they only made about 45 of. They don't know exactly how many they made because they keep that good of records. But you know, there's there's a Peel Club um, in England, and they actually are remanufacturing some of the Peel parts. Um, so, you know, you wouldn't think a car that obscure you could find parts for. You know, but if you start working on a Davis that they made 14 of, obviously anything you need, uh, although the motors, you know, they used Hercules and Continental motors, um, and the rear end, I think, was out of a Jeep. So some of the mechanical components, uh, you can find parts for that. But, you know, if you were looking for body parts, you're going to have to make that. And And how hard is it to... What am I trying to say, Steve? Get a get a plan, or, or how hard is it to identify how to manufacture a, a certain part? Well, you know, it's it's really not that tough because you know we have we can make pretty much anything. We can make uh, vendors and body panels, um, frame, frame pieces. We have great metal fabrication capabilities. You know, and and a lot of times, um, a lot of cars. You're, you're kind of working either from a photograph or you might have the physical piece there that's really in, in unrepairable condition. Uh, I mean, we're lucky with the obscure stuff that, <clears throat> excuse me, that we work on to have a drawing or a blueprint. That's, that's pretty strange for us. We're, we're more, we usually more work from pictures and, and having the physical piece. And what do you do about upholstery and, and so forth? 
we do a little bit of upholstery there. Uh, if it's a major upholstery job, then, then we use a local upholstery place to do that for us. We've got about uh, a minute and a half to go. Can you give us some uh, some points that you want to uh, specifically uh, add and, and then uh, give us the uh, how to reach you uh, information one more time and how to get there? Okay, well, I just, uh, you know, I'm just uh, glad to be on the show, and I, I want to encourage all the, I mean, I always encourage people that are car enthusiasts to, you know, to work on their cars and get out and drive them. And, and the thing I try to tell people, you know, sometimes people come to a museum and they're, they're kind of intimidated, you know, all these cars, and, you know, some cars are million-dollar cars. But, you know, it's a great hobby, and, and you can get into it at any level. You know, like Model Ts are, are very affordable, very fun. MGs are very affordable and very fun. So there, there's a there's a lot of ways to just get into the hobby, and enjoy it, and I encourage people to do that. Um, again, we're we're located um, at 702 Murfreesboro Pike, about three miles outside of downtown Nashville, uh, Tennessee, and we're open um, Thursday through Monday from 10 to 5. Jeff, it's been a pleasure. Yes. Uh, Steve, you got any? Yeah, and I, I again because of the uniqueness of the stuff there, I, I would 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 uh, try to get you know tell everybody if you're in the Nashville area and you're a car person and you want to see some really interesting and and unique vehicles, you need to make the effort to go there because you'll never see stuff like this anywhere else. <laughs> what 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 Mr. Lane has in his museum. Jeff, we want to thank you uh, very much for being on the show, getting up a little early uh, in Nashville, but hopefully uh, we can do this again sometime in the future. It'd be great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Stay tuned for more good programming, uh, food and farm, followed by America's Homegrown Veggies. You're listening to America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.